Great friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Tuesday, June 28th, 2022, and this will be our first session on the Torah portion of Korach. We were off yesterday. Now, um, there is this Torah portion is absolutely packed with drama. And I feel like, I think I mentioned this last week, maybe even two weeks ago-ish, that this part of the Book of Numbers, this part of Bamidbar, just things go wild. We have drama and complaints and 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 turmoil and turbulence. Yet last week was the sin of the spies. This week we have the the attempted coup of Korach. It's like the whole thing is crazy. It's wild. So that is uh, that is the context of this discussion. Hey Olia, welcome. As we go through the Torah portion, um and this story in the drama, I'm going to actually give an insight, share an insight that ties the two Torah portions together. Shlach, last week with the spies, and Korach this week with the attempted coup, with the mutiny of Korach. And, uh, and see how one follows the other according to Kabbalah. But first, let's just jump in. Let's get the story. Let's get the story straight. All right, I'm going to share my screen. Torah portion is Korach, reading number one. This is chapter 16 of the book of Numbers, verse number one. Korach, the son of Yitzhar, the son of Kahat, the son of Levi. So the Torah gives us the entire, not the entire, but traces his lineage up to Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. So if we start reverse order, hey Joy, good to see you. So if we start in reverse order, so Levi, so it was Jacob, right? Jacob, our patriarch had a son named Levi, his third son, Reuven Shimon Levi. Levi had three sons, Gershon, Kat, Merari. So Levi's son was Kahat. Kahat's son was Yitzhar. Yitzhar's son was Korach. Now they all have more than one child, but this is the, the family tree. So Korach took himself to one side. That kind of means he split. He split himself off. He, he, he splintered himself. Along with Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelet, descendants of Reuben. So the Torah gives us a lot of names, four names, four names you need to know. Korach, Datan, Abiram, and On. Those are the four instigators of the mutiny. Korach was chief instigator. Datan and Abiram were... Um, I don't know what to call them. They were executive instigators. They were already instigating from the times of Egypt before the Exodus. Datan and Abiram, these were the two that, that, that had an issue with Moses even before Moses was, was a leader. This is, these were the guys that were fighting amongst themselves. And then when Moses tried to intervene, um, one said to the other, oh, this guy, oh, you're going to, one said to him, you're going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian. And then they leaked the news. Anyway, these guys had a long history with Moses and discontent with leadership. So you have Korach, who's from the Levite family, which means he's a cousin of Moses. So you have Korach, Moses' cousin, Datan and Abiram, who are his, the thorns in his side, and On, the son of Pelet. We don't know much about him. But they came from the tribe of Reuben, these other ones did. Now they confronted Moses together with... 250 men from the children of Israel. 
chieftains of the congregation, these were 250 leaders, representatives of the assembly, men of repute. So you have these four, together with 250 others, all of them were leaders and respected individuals, and they assembled against Moses and Aaron. What's interesting is the first time it says they confronted Moses and then assembled against and you can, Moses and Aaron. You can imagine that, you know, like all good movements or evil movements or nefarious movements, uh, things progress as time goes on. So it begins as a grassroots and then picks up some steam and it starts with one issue and expands to other issues. So this was an ever-evolving movement, as all movements are. And they said to them, Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon yourselves. For the entire congregation are all holy, and the Lord is in their midst. Look at that. Kulam Kedoshim. They're all holy. Uvetocham Hashem and Hashem God is with them. Power to the people. So why do you raise yourselves above the Lord's assembly? In other words, why do you make yourselves the leaders, if everybody is holy, if the entire congregation is holy, and the Lord is in the midst of everyone. So then what makes you the leader? Right? Who makes you, what makes you so important? Moses heard and fell on his face. That's it. He like, fell on his face means he was like, didn't know what to do with himself. Then he gets up. And he spoke to Korach and to all his company, saying, In the morning, the Lord will make known who is his and who is holy. Now, you're saying that everyone's holy? True. But let's wait till the morning. And God is going to make known, God is going to demonstrate clearly who is his and who is holy. And he will draw them near to him. And the one whom he chooses, he will draw near to him. And I was, let God um, confirm the leadership. You have a question about the leadership, God will confirm the leadership. And then Moses says, well, how will God do it? Let's create, let's create a plan. Do this, Korach and crew, Korach and his company. Take for yourselves censors. Censors are like, uh, you know, fire and incense things, whatever. Place fire in them and put incense upon them before the Lord tomorrow. Okay, so you're going to take a censer, which is kind of some somewhat of a pan or some sort of container thing. Put fire in there somehow, hot coals or something. Put incense before the Lord. And the man whom the Lord chooses, he is the Holy One. In other words, let God choose. You have a question about who made you in charge? What were you, Moses and Aaron? Who put you in charge? Good, good. God will demonstrate. You have taken too much upon yourselves, sons of Levi. Uh, Moses says to Korach, you've taken too much upon yourselves. You're, you're, you're overreaching here, my buddy. You're ex overextending and you're going, you're wading into territory that is frankly dangerous. He doesn't tell him stay in your lane as such, you know, and 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 but he's kind of telling him that. It's like you're 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 going outside of your of your box, so to speak. Moses said to Korach, Shimunab Levi, please listen, sons of Levi. 
Is it not enough that the God of Israel has distinguished you from the congregation of Israel to draw you near to him, to perform the service in the Mishkan of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? You're a Levi. You're a Levite. God has already given you honor and glory and responsibility. Right? You've, God has already drawn you near to him. You perform the service of the Mish, in the Mishkan. You minister to God in, before the congregation. So what's the problem? He drew you near and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. So you guys are Levites. And now you seek the Kuhuna as well? Now you want to be a Kohen? Come on, you're a Levi. Hi, Faye. Good to see you. Good to, good to see you again. Therefore, you and your entire company who are assembled are against the Lord. He says unequivocally to, uh, to, to, to Korach, he says, you guys are working against God's will and God's instructions. For what is Aaron that you should complain against him? My simple interpretation would mean that this, this that is that this would mean, what is Aaron that you should complain against him? He didn't self-appoint. Who is he that you have a problem with him? He's someone who God said, take this job. That's all he is. He's a guy who God said, Be, you're the Kohen Gadol. Now you, you, and you have a problem with that? Don't, you don't have a problem with Aaron. Have a problem with God. What's Aaron that you should complain against him? You're going to the wrong guy. Again, somebody gets a promotion, and then you have a complaint against him? Go to the boss if you want a promotion. Don't, don't tear down the other guy. Aaron is appointed as high priest. You have a problem with that. Is your problem with Aaron or with God who made him a high priest? So Moses then sent to call Datan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. He wanted to schmooze with them. He spoke to Korach. Now he wants to speak with these other guys because there's a core group of four that are at the core of this uh, movement. But they said, we will not go up. They said, we're not talking to you, Moses. We're not having a conversation with you. Is it not enough that you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in this desert? That you should also exercise authority over us? Look at this line. You cannot even imagine that line. They said, Datan and Abiram, when Moses says, let's have a conversation, see if we can work this out. They said, no, no conversation. But they made a statement. Not a conversation, but a statement. And what's the statement? Is it not enough that you brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? Which is the land flowing with milk and honey? What did they mean? Egypt. Egypt. It's crazy. It's Meshuggah. It's crazy. They're telling Moses, you're a bad guy. You took us out of the land flowing with milk and honey. The land flowing with milk and honey everywhere in Scripture. The language of Torah and the language of God is referring to Israel. And they twist it. They said, no, 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 Moses. You took us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in this desert. Because this was after the decree of the wandering for 40 years that that generation would die. So they were right that they would die in the desert, but it wasn't killing them in the desert. And it's Egypt is not a land flowing with milk and honey. So they said to him, I love how they're like, good at pressing buttons. I'm getting triggered. I'll be honest, I'm not Moses or Aaron, but I'm getting triggered already. They say to him, we're not going to have a conversation with you. Is it not enough that you took us out of the land from the to kill us in the desert, that you also now want to be our leader? You also want to tell us what to do? You're, we're done. You're no longer the boss over us. Done. 
finished. Let's continue the narrative. We'll go back to Rashi. Let's continue the narrative. You have not even brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, you took us out of paradise. And, and where did you take us to? Nothing. Nowhere. Garnished. Nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Nothing. You took us out to a desert to die. Thank you, Moses. Even if you gouge out the eyes of those men, we will not go up. You can torture us. We're not going with you. We're not going to speak with you. We're not going to negotiate with you. You are illegitimate. You do not deserve to be in power. That's it. Wow. Again, they didn't like him from the beginning. But Moses made every effort to reconcile. They rebuffed his, his, uh, his offer. Moses was exceedingly distressed. At this point, he's distressed about the situation. And he said to the Lord, do not accept their offering. When they, tomorrow, when they bring the fire pans and incense and whatever, the censers and the incense and the fire, do not accept their offering. I have not taken a single donkey from a single one of them. Not taken a donkey from a single one of them. And I've not harmed a single one of them. It's like, I don't understand the anger. I don't understand the vitriol. I don't understand where this frustration is coming from. I didn't harm them. I've only been nice to them. I've only treated them like my own family. What is going on here? All right. That's what Moses says to God. Now Moses says to Korach, the ringleader, here's the plan. You and your entire congregation should be before the Lord. You, they, and Aaron tomorrow. Here's the game plan. Let each man take his censer and place incense upon it. It's kind of like a, a container, a pan, a container, where you put a coal or, or some hot, yes, yeah, some hot coal, and then incense. And let each man present his censer before the Lord. There will thus be 250 censers. And let you and Aaron each take his censer. So the 250 people with you, the, the prominent people, let them each take a censer with fire and incense. And then you and Aaron. So each man took a censer, and they put fire upon it, and placed incense upon it. And they stood at the entrance of the tent of, the, of meeting with Moses and Aaron. The tent of meeting, as you know, was the covered Mishkan building. There was a large courtyard with a perimeter on the outside, and then a building that was covered with animal skins and other, other coverings, tapestries. Inside that building was the menorah, the inner golden altar, the incense altar, the showbread table, and inside an inner chamber was the Ark of the Covenant with the, the golden ark with the cherubim, the, the kruvim, and, uh, and the tablets. They took this, they took the censers, they put fire, placed incense, and they stood where? At the entrance of this tent, at the entrance of this building, the entrance of the tent of meeting, together with Moses and Aaron. Korach assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared before the entire congregation. You know something's about to go down every time you see that phrase. And the glory of God appeared before the entire congregation, or the glory of God appeared, you know that things are about to go down. There's about to be a divine shakedown. 
I mean, for better or for worse, something's going to happen. There's something, and I don't shake down as negative, but something's going to happen. We saw this with Miriam. Remember Miriam a few weeks ago was speaking about her brother to her other brother, right? My brother, this is my other brother, Daryl. What's it, some show? Better brother, other brother, whatever, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so also the glory of God appeared to them. And here again, glory of God appears. We got, uh, we got some stuff brewing on the horizon. We're going to continue going through the narrative. And then we'll go back. And the narrative continues, reading three for today, Tuesday. Third day, third reading. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Disassociate yourselves from this congregation and I will consume them in an instant. God says, in my, in my words, in my, uh, um, in my language, move away. Step away from this area. This is a hazard zone. They fell on their faces, Moses and Aaron did, and said, O God, the God of the spirit, spirits of all flesh, if one man sins, shall you be angry with the whole congregation? Understand this, that even in this moment, Moses gets into lawyer advocacy mode. He's advocating for the people. God, one guy, you have a Korach who's a disgruntled Levite, right? He's an aspiring Kohen, a disgruntled Levite, and he's stirring the pot. You're going to destroy everybody? Remember, because what did God say? Disassociate yourself from this congregation. Now, consume them. Congregation could mean either this group or the entire congregation. So Moses wants to clarify. Moses says, "Ah, if one man sins, you're going to be angry with the whole congregation because you said congregation. Is everybody in trouble? No. No, only Korach and his people. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, to clarify, Speak to the entire congregation, saying, Withdraw from the dwelling of Korach, Datan, and Abiram. Those are the areas that you need to move away from. The dwellings, the tents, the areas of the homes of Korach, Datan, and Abiram. Three. By the way, the fourth, On, he was saved at the end because he recanted. He, he did tshuva. He repented. He, he backed out of this as things got a little sticky. He's like, actually, there's going to be an incense contest and there's a shakedown happening. God's a... He just... He, kept, he just... The power of a rolling office chair. He just retreats. He just exits stage left. So he's saved ultimately at the end. By the way, according... Who did you say? Own. So sorry. Own, the fourth guy. If you recall in reading one, we read about Korach and then Datan and Abiram. And this fellow named On, the son of Pelet. On, he was the fourth guy. The fourth of the original ringleaders. And he backed out. He's, he noped out on this one. Um, the commentaries say, the Midrash tells us, that it was at his wife's behest. In fact, there is one tradition. Am I getting it right? Am I getting it wrong? Trying to remember. There's one tradition, maybe. If not, I'll make it up now. Maybe that she got him drunk and he wasn't able to show up to that place that time, so he wasn't part of it. Maybe. We'd have to look that up. Um, yeah, if you want to look it up, if anyone wants to do some recon while we continue, you can Google maybe Chabad and then wife of own, like O-N, and see if you can find something. 
wife of it's An. Story when with the hair, right? It's when she was sitting by the tent with her hair, without covered, covered hair. Oh, maybe yes, yes, yes. Something like that. I think yeah. you're right. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. It's even better than what I told you. Yes, thank you. Owns wife. Listen to this. She got him drunk. Basically, they had a meal, and she served a little extra, a little extra spicy wine. When I say spicy, I mean a little extra heavy, a little more proof, a little more uh, alcohol content. Um, and then he fell asleep, and then she sat outside by the tent, and she uncovered her hair, um, which was, um, you know, uh, you know, in, in that in that context, which was uh, not the most modest sign in that setting, and so. When the when the other uh, folks came around to grab own for the for the you know, the, the the big final uh, you know stand up to power march situation, she was sitting outside in that state, and they kind of like they they moved away, they backed away. Um, so she saved his life, basically. It's the moral of the story. Sometimes it need, you need someone else to schlep you out of danger. It's good to have that. Good to have someone who's got your back. Anyway, she didn't play. She wasn't like convincing him, you know, hey, it's not a good idea, blah, blah, blah. She's just like, all right, you're out. I'm just going to make sure you don't get sucked into this absolute debacle. Um, you know, a tale of two wives. It says that uh, Korach's wife, she was the one that was pushing him the whole time to fight to, for this whole thing. Because she was saying how Moses took all the leadership for himself and he's your cousin and you got cut out of this and you're nothing and he's everything and he gave you know the priesthood to his brother it's nepotism blah 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 what's wrong with you you should so she was stirring the pot in that household so like you know not to blame her but you know that was that that was that signal or that message from her and the message from own's wife was uh-uh don't do this don't because you're not you're not standing up to Moses and Aaron. You're standing up against God. And that never will end well. That will never end the way you think it might. Um, okay. So God says to Moses, tell the people, get away from the dwelling of Korach, Datan, and Abiram. Own is spared. Moses arose and went to Datan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And by the way, why did he go to them? As the commentators say, to exhort them, to encourage them, to plead with them, to end it now before things get too, before it's too late. And then, God, and then Moses spoke to the entire congregation, to the congregation saying, please get away from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything of theirs, lest you perish because of all their sins. It's like the magician, it's like the fire juggler. Who says, you know, like, step away. This about, Things are about to get real. Step away. Step away. It's about to get hectic. Um, reminds me of an incident at the old Chabad house. The, the one on Ponce Avenue. We had a small, little, small sanctuary. It was kind of a converted living room, dining room. I don't know what it was. And um, we had, at that point, fabric chairs. Kind of like executive chairs, but covered in fabric. I remember it was the first day of the of the Sunday school, of the Hebrew school. You know, the new year, academic year in August, whatever it was. And actually, no, maybe it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was Hanukkah time. I think it was right before Hanukkah. And we brought in, I was then directing the Sunday school. 
and we brought in fire jugglers to, to entertain the kids. Fire juggler, a, a husband and wife team juggling fire. They, in the middle of the act, it's like one of these, I don't know, torch, like mini torch things with fire. It's indoors, by the way. I don't know. This was not the best move. Guy's juggling. And obviously the kids are, he misses it. And it goes sliding on the floor. I kid you not. It goes sliding on the floor. And it's like a burning torch and it's right under a chair. And I'm like, no. Anyway, I didn't, no, no, it's fine. It all worked out. Nothing caught on fire. It was, it was gotten very quickly and put out or whatever it was. Or do you already continue juggling? I forget. But that was one of those moments of like, we didn't move far enough away to think about like the drop and the slide on that laminate floor situation. Again, whoever's listening to this, all worked out well. No trauma, just a, a story. Or maybe some trauma. How can I speak for everybody? No. Lions, tigers, bears, and fire. And fire. Oh, my. Oh, oh, are you calling me the master of disaster? Are you saying that wherever I go, things are a mayhem? No, not so bad. Although, you know, I guess everyone's got their fair share of stuff. So that was a little bit of a moment. But yeah, it's kind of like in this case, it's like, don't get too close. Don't get too close because things are about to go down. Literally, things are about to go down. Um, let me share my screen. And uh, yeah, the fire. Please get away from the tents. Do not touch anything lest you perish because of their sins. Okay, so they, the people, withdrew from around the dwelling of Korach, Datan, and Abiram. Again, On was fast asleep with his wife sitting by the door. And Datan and Abiram went out standing upright at the entrance of their tents. You know what that means? They went out standing upright? Defiant. That's a, that's a, that's a language of defiance. The, the warning was not just to everyone else. The warning was to everybody. To Korach, Datan, Abiram. The warning was to everybody. Things are about to get weird. They're about to get crazy. Get away. And what did these guys do? The homeowners? Defiant. Together with their wives, their children, and their infants. They didn't even spare the women and children is what the Torah is trying to tell us. They didn't send their, the, 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 their wives and children and babies away and just handle whatever was going to handle and accept whatever was going to happen and just you know do their thing. No, they kept everyone there. Now, it's either, either they told them to or they chose on their own. Either way, it's, it's, it's cray-cray. Moses said, with this, you shall, with this you shall know that the Lord sent me to do all these things that I did not devise them myself. In other words, here's going to be the definitive proof that, I, that God has chosen me and that I am the one sent by God. If these men die, as all men die, if they die a normal death, and the fate of all men will be visited upon them if they die a normal death, then the Lord has not sent me. Let that be a sign that I am a fraud. But if the Lord creates a creation, Something brand new happens. And the earth opens its mouth and swallows them and all that is theirs. And they descend alive into the grave. You will know that these men have provoked the Lord. If they, listen to how high stakes this is for Moses. He doesn't say if they die. 
then they're wrong and I'm right. Says, if they die a crazy death, that's never happened before, the earth is going to open up and swallow people alive with all their stuff. I mean, sinkhole on demand type thing, right? This concept is crazy. And Moses says, that will be the sign that I am legit and that what I'm telling you is true. Everything else does not prove that. So if, for example, God, have, God would have had, uh, punished them with fire, which God has done before when people bring unauthorized offerings. That would not have been the sign that Moses had requested or predicted. Let's continue. Well, wouldn't you know it? As soon as he finished speaking all these words, the earth beneath them split open. The earth beneath them opened its mouth. No, the earth doesn't have a mouth. It's euphemistic. Euphemistic. Using a metaphor, it opened up and swallowed them and their houses and all the men who were with Korach and all the property. Then all they possessed descended alive into the grave. The earth covered them up and they were lost to the assembly. It's crazy. They went alive into the earth, into into their graves. Then it covered them up. And they were gone. All Israel who were around them fled from their cries. They ran away. They were, they were freaked out. For they said, lest the earth swallow us up too. Run! The earth is doing crazy things. Now then, continues, the drama continues. A fire came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who had offered up the incense. So Korach, Datan, and Abiram... They are swallowed alive with their families and their possessions. They're swallowed alive into the earth, and then it closes back up. And you could hear their, their, their cries. Look at this. We, we read that a moment ago. All Israel who were around them fled from their cries. You know what that means? It means that under the earth, you could hear them crying, screaming. That's what it means. Not on the way down, right? Because the Torah already says the earth covered them up. They were lost. They were gone. And then the people fled from their cries. It implies that the cries were from under the earth. Imagine that. That's... What was that show that used to be on TV? Like creepy stuff. Um... Tales of the Crypt? Tales of the Crypt. Yes. Thank you. Tales of the Crypt. Literally Tales of the Crypt. Right? This is like that crazy story. Very well done, Sarah. Very well done. Um, yeah, this tells from the crypt, straight up. I'm, the earth opens up, swallows them alive with their families and possessions, covers it up, covers back up, closes. Then you just hear cries and, and yells and, and, and horror sounds from under the earth. People ran away as fast as they, as they could from that, from that area. Ran away. By the way, I should tell you, there's one happy ending. One. The sons of Korach, they eventually made their way out. It says that at the last moment, as the earth was opening up and as they were falling in, they had thoughts of tshuva, of repentance. Probably, what have we done? What were we thinking? 
Korach's own sons had thoughts and feelings of remorse, and that was enough tshuva to spare their lives. It says that they ultimately climbed their way out through the earth and rejoined the population. That's what it says. B'nei the children of Noach, the sons of Noach, did not die. I mean, everyone, they all had been swallowed alive, but these guys made it out. Why? Because they did Teshuvah. And the lesson, of course, is it's never too late to do Teshuvah as long as we've got, you know, the ability to do so because we have our lives consciously, you know, etc. As long as we're healthy enough to do it, never too late. Even at the last moment, uh, these sons of Korach were able to do it. Now, it doesn't mean wait to the last moment. That's not, that's not the, the upshot of this. It's, it can be done at any moment, and it ought to be done at any moment for, uh, for our own sake. Now, back inside. We're going to stop here and go to Rashi. We're going to pause the narrative here. We got, we got th- you know, almost three readings full of Rashi. Can I ask a question? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so I was just a little confused because Moses said, told everybody to get away, but did the 250 men get away or they didn't? And then they did not go away. The 250 okay. men, they were in different spots. The 250 men had gathered in front of the tent of meeting. They were in the Mishkan facility. They, okay. were, bringing, they were bringing the incense offering. Now, the story is like, the story has a few components to it, which is why, thank you for asking so that we can clarify. There's a few different settings of the story. Scene one, let's just call it, takes place in the temple, in the Mishka, where you have these 250 priests of the whatever, I don't know, Korach's dudes, that are with their censers, their fire pans with incense in front of the tent of meeting. They end up um, consumed by fire. A fire came forth from the Lord and consumed the 250 men. So those guys got consumed. Right? In the meantime, in the meantime, something else was happening in the dwelling, in the community, in the, the residential area, right? In the tents of Korach, who was in the Levite encampment, and Datan and Abiram that were in the Reubenite, the Ruvain encampment, things were going down. And there was warnings given, you know, like, I mean, like in our neighborhood, right? Joy, I can only speak like for this neighborhood. You know, there's these movie shoots and TV shows. And, you know, oftentimes you'll get signs like no parking, you know, this day of the week, you know, or these days of the week because we're doing something. And I was like, what? Just because these guys, Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's part of life, right? You just deal with it. Um, Moses tried to do that. He's like, no parking. Like, no one should be here. But, you know, people are people, and they're like, you know, people get close, as close as they can get. And, uh, and then they got swallowed. Korach and Dutton and Abiram and their families, their houses, their possessions, everything goes in. And then it just covers back up. And then everyone else that's nearby, because, you know, people are people, um, we call that rubbernecking. People are rubbernecking. So they hear the cries, they start running. It's like, it's, it's now freaking everybody out. That's how the drama kind of... Now, the drama's not over. There's still more pieces to the story because as we'll see tomorrow, the people then turn against Moses and Aaron and say, you killed these guys. You killed Korach, Datan, Abiram, the 250 guys. It's your fault. 
So now instead of saying they were vindicated and they're right the whole time and these guys are the bad guys, they're like, no, 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 you guys are the villains. So things, things get even more dramatic in the next stage. But I want to do a, little, a few Rashis. We'll skip around a little bit because we don't have much time. We'll do a few Rashis on what we read and just get in a little bit, uh, some, some insights in the narrative. Okay, back to reading one. Let's show Rashi. Okay, number one, it's Korach took. Vayikach means he took. Took in English, right? What did he take? So there's two explanations. One is he took himself to one side. He moved himself away from everybody else. He became a hater. The other explanation is he took others with words. He convinced others to join his movement. Yeah, he was able to convince at least 252 people to join his movement. The, uh, the call of, of, of Korach, the motto was power to the people. Everyone's holy. We know the truth that he wanted to be the leader. He wanted to be the high priest. But the populist, you know, the, 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 the call, the, 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 the slogan was power to the people. Everyone's holy. Rashi explains. All of them heard the words of the commandments that Sane from the mouth of the Almighty. So why are you any better than them? We all read Sinai. We all heard it. So why do you raise yourself? If you've taken kingship for yourself, you should have not chosen Kuna for your brother. Not only you heard it, Sinai, I'm the Lord your God, the entire congregation heard it. So you're the leader and your brother's the Kohen Gadol. How convenient. I should just call you nepotism, right? Just call this what it is. Now, obviously, the, the truth is it wasn't nepotism. It was God's appointment. You can't argue with this guy. He's uh, spinning this conspiracy theory. And if you disagree, then you're part of the conspiracy. You're in on it. Um, he fell on his face. Why? Because of the rebellion. This was already their fourth offense. You know what they say? Three strikes are out. This was number four. Rashi traces all four. Um, but the, the key upshot here is the analogy. This is comparable to a prince who sinned against his father. And his father's friend placated the king on his behalf. He was peacemaker. He did it once, twice, three times. When he offended the fourth time, the friend became disheartened and he said, how much more can I trouble the king? Perhaps he will no longer accept my petition. You know, how many times can I go to the same well and try to plead on your behalf? It's, it's going to dry up. And so in this case, Moses didn't even know what to do anymore because he's asked so many times, he's asked God to spare the Jewish people. And now, he's, now he has to do it again. He's like, just, he's finished. Moses says, tomorrow morning, let's, uh, let's have the showdown. Why tomorrow morning? His real intention was delay with the hope that they might retract. In other words, the hope was if we wait till tomorrow, cooler heads will prevail and maybe they'll back off the mutiny. Maybe they'll, they'll call off the, uh, the dogs, so to speak. 
Yeah, Moses tells them, you have taken too much upon yourselves, sons of Levi. Rav lechem b'nei Levi. There's a, there's a powerful uh, uh, teaching from the Talmud here. Talmud says, or the Midrash, that as a consequence for Moses telling Korach, Rav lechem b'nei Levi, you're taking too much upon yourself, stay in your lane, be satisfied with what you have. Because of that, God told him when he asked to go into the land of Israel, Rav lechem, Rav lecha. It's, it's enough. You already got what you got. It's enough. What you got is enough. It's kind of like God played that against Moses, ultimately. When Moses hits the rock, which we'll read about in a week or two, and God says, oh, now you're not going in. Moses says, no, 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 I want to go in, I want to go in. God says to him, Rav lecha. It's enough. You have enough. You've had enough. You've led a prolific career. You've led a prolific, prolific life. You've done a wonderful accomplishments. Greatest leader of all time, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to get this on your resume as well. Rav lecha. It's, uh, it's enough. It's what you got already is enough. The Midrash says that it was, it was a consequence of him telling Korach it's enough, which makes it sound like he shouldn't have told Korach that, but he, obviously he should have, but maybe use different terminology. Because really it's not about you're dreaming too big. It's about you're dreaming of taking something from someone else. Let me explain the difference. You know, when it comes to the, to the prohibition against coveting, somebody's driving, you know, a beautiful car. You're like, whoa, that's amazing. Such a gorgeous car. I want that. Is that coveting? Depends. If you want that guy's car, him not to have it and you to have it, that's coveting. If you simply want a car like that, because you like that car, that's fine. Hashtag goals. That's like, that's like having goals and dreams and ambitions. That's leveling up, living your best life. YOLO, right? And that's like throw out whatever expression you want. That's fine. But wanting that guy's car for yourself, the actual car. So like, I don't want him to have it. I want me to have it. Now you're getting into other territory. When Moses heard Korach's complaint, he could have told him simply, fellas, it's given to Aaron. He's the high priest. That's it. It's that guy's car. Stop coveting. He didn't say stop coveting. He said, Rav lecha. He said, be satisfied with what you have. Or be content with your position. Don't dream bigger. So when Moses dreamt bigger to go into Israel, God said to him, does this line sound familiar? Don't dream bigger. And really the lesson in life for us is that was wrong. Dream bigger. In other words, we should never tell ourselves or others, don't dream bigger. We should tell Korach, don't steal someone else's job. That is valid. But don't tell someone else, don't dream. That's not, that's not our place. Our place is not to tell someone not to dream. Moses told Korach not to dream. So that when Moses dreamt, God told Moses, you don't dream. Now see how that feels. If I tell you don't dream, don't have any ambitions. How does that feel? It doesn't feel nice. It feels suffocating. It feels mean. It feels wrong. Okay. You did that to Korach. Don't do that to Korach. I mean, it's too late, but God was critiquing Moses' approach. In life, this comes up often, right? Somebody has ideas and dreams and goals and ambitions, and they share with you some ideas, and the question is, what do you say? What do you say? Do you encourage them? Do you discourage them? 
you have to use your seichel, you have to use your intelligence to figure out when it's a good idea, when it's not a good idea. But in general, we should be encouraging dreams and goals and hopes and aspirations. It's a good thing. Again, this was manifest in taking away something, so that made it unholy. But the core drive actually was holy, which answers another question. And with this, we're going to close out today's session. Why is there an entire Torah portion named Korach? He's the villain. Why would you name a section of Torah for all time Korach? This week's parsha, Korach. Korach, why are we talking about Korach? You know how many Torah portions are named Moses? How many Torah portions are named Moses? Zero. Nothing. Nada. And yet Korach, how many portions are named Aaron? None. Abraham, none. Isaac, none. Jacob, none. Korach. Korach gets his name in lights. Why? The Rebbe explains, because Korach teaches us a beautiful lesson, a positive lesson. You know what that is? Always dream. And dream big. Don't be content with something small. Dream big. So then what did he do wrong? Because his big dreams included taking something away from someone else. That's where you go too far. But otherwise, dream big. It's positive. It's holy. It's amazing. It's righteous. I cannot tell you how many times the Rebbe drilled this message into all of us. When I say all of us, I mean you, all of us, everyone here. If you've ever studied anything that the Rebbe taught, or if you've ever read anything or seen videos, you've probably encountered this. The Rebbe would speak incessantly about the fact that life equals growth. That if you're living, you need to be growing. Stagnation is a sign of the opposite of life. The Rebbe was against retirement. You want to stop your 9 to 5? You, want to, you don't want to work 9 to 5? Your, your, the job that you've been working? No problem. Find something else to do productive. Uh, an idle mind, an idle body is not a healthy situation. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Life is consistent with growth, not with stagnation. When the Rebbe turned 70... The Rebbe spoke at a Fabreng, it was 1972. He was born in 1902. He spoke on the 11th day of Nisan, uh, 1982. Sorry, 72. And he said, you know, I've been been hearing chatter. People have been advising me, maybe it's time to slow down my efforts. Because I'm 70, maybe time to take it easy. So the Rebbe spoke then an entire Fabreng about the value of work. Again, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not about a job specifically, but about work and growing. And he said at that Fabreng, and not only am I reducing my efforts, but I'm announcing that we're going to open up 70 new Chabad institutions, which then was a massive number. 70 new institutions in the next whatever amount of time, maybe a year or less than a year, um, which was very ambitious. The Rebbe then spoke about the value of work and movement and action and staying busy. And he said, it's a, it's a divine value. God doesn't stop. We shouldn't stop. Sign of life. Growth is a sign of life. So we have a Torah portion. Listen to this. This Again, it's the Rebbe's insight, consistent with the Rebbe's philosophy. The Rebbe said to us, never stop, never stop dreaming, never stop going big. Go big and then go bigger. 
And so the Rebbe says, why is this Torah person called Korach? Because he was a dreamer. Korach? He's a guy who was, he was a Levi. He wanted to become a Kohen. That's good. Okay, he wanted to take away the high priesthood from Aaron. Not good. But Korach at his core, it's a whole, the ambition was holy. Holy ambition, Batman. It was holy. It manifests in jealousy and negativity, but the core drive was holy. Korach is therefore put in lights. Korach, be like Korach to the extent that you dream. Not that you try to take away something from someone else, but that you dream. I want to end with this. I saw this video a few weeks ago where the Rebbe was, they did like a mini, like a mini documentary about uh, the Resnick family. Molly Resnick is a former um, Hollywood producer or maybe TV producer who became observant um, in Chabad and she's now the mother of Shluchim. She, her kids are Chabad emissaries. In fact, I know her son, Raleigh, Raleigh Resnick, who is a Chabad rabbi in, in uh, Northern California or maybe Central California, I and mean, somewhere in California. So her husband was a doctor. He passed away, tragically, um, too young, I think in his 50s. He passed away a few years ago. Um, he was one of the Rebbe's cardiologists after the Rebbe had a heart attack in 1978 on Simchat Torah. In the middle of the dancing, the Rebbe had a heart attack, and um, they assembled a team of doctors subsequently, and uh, Dr. Resnick was one of the doctors that worked. But you see videos and, and Mrs. Resnick told her story, told their story. And the Rebbe always encouraged him to go big. The Rebbe encouraged um, Dr. Resnick to publish, publish research. He was a researcher and a cardiologist and, and researcher, cardiologist and a researcher, you know, produce. One time, there's a video. He goes by the Rebbe for dollars and the Rebbe says to him, um, have you won the Nobel Prize yet <laughs> for your research? And he says, no, his Rebbe says, so keep on trying. Like the Rebbe wants the people to think big, not to think small. It's like if you're a scientist, if you're a researcher, then your goal should be Nobel Prize. Like think big. The Rebbe encouraged Mrs. Resnick to speak and to travel and to share her story. The Rebbe gave her money for plane tickets to go share her story about her journey from Hollywood to you know, Chabad and whatever it is. Just encourage people that you can be you know, you can be a person who gets it and knows it and is successful and still have a desire to, for, you know, uh, observance and, and, and that, that type of lifestyle. The point is, the Rebbe encouraged and, and, and drove people with love and belief to be their best self. That's the Swiss portion, Korach. Korach reminds us, don't be satisfied with mediocre. Go big. Just don't try to take something away from someone else. Just don't steal that guy's Lamborghini. But go big, get your own. Get your own. Just don't hotwire it for yourself. Korach hot, was trying to hotwire Aaron's priesthood. That was a problem. But Korach's own ambitions, they were holy. God says to Moses, never, never kill the dream. Never kill the dream. Don't tell Korach, stop dreaming. Tell him he can't take it away. That's valid. Don't tell him to stop dreaming. Because if I tell you stop dreaming, that, that hurts. You want to go to, I want to go to God. Moses says, I want to go to Israel. God says, stop dreaming. That doesn't feel good. Tell me no for whatever reason, master plan, blah, blah, blah. 
but stop dreaming. That we should never say. Not to others. Maybe more importantly, not to ourselves. Believe in yourself. Believe in your greatness. Believe that you can accomplish the most amazing things. And you have. And you will. And you'll keep on climbing that mountain. Great to see everybody today for DPP. It's great to be back after missing yesterday. Have a wonderful day. There, today is Tuesday. We're, uh, we're between JLI, between courses, so there is no course tonight. Back on tomorrow, same time, same channel for Zoom, DPP, Wednesday. We'll see you then. Take care. Any questions or comments before we close out? Well, the, yeah. the other comment, sorry, the, um, the wisdom of the day. Yeah. It said that we learn from Moses to always do whatever we can to bring our brethren back to God. I love it. Yeah. And his Torah, even when it seems that all hope is lost. He put in every effort. Yeah, great point. He put in every effort to reconcile, to reach out again and again and again. Korach, Tata, Nabiru, he made, made, made the rounds. Guys, come on, let's stop this, let's stop this. It didn't stop. Somebody else was going to say something. Sarah, was that you? Or Olia? Yeah, I was just, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say about the sons of Korach and just their thoughts of Teshuva. Yes. It just made me think, yeah, it just made me think like, if you just even have thoughts of it or if it's in your heart, it'll be facilitated. Exactly. And like, Such a powerful idea. And the Rebbe speaks about that extensively as well. Just to hear her Teshuva, just the thought of Teshuva, without actually having the time to like make amends and apologize publicly. That thought itself, that regret, was enough to spare their lives and give them a second chance to climb out and rebuild. There's a psalm, Livne Korach Mizmershir, one of the 150 psalms of David, talks about a song blessing God that they composed, the sons of Levi, after they got out. There's also, the Rebbe has an elaborate talk of why they were swallowed and then got out and because their tshuva was hidden in their heart. No one knew that they had repented. So the process had to be one of first being hidden, alive, and then coming out. So their tshuva, because it paralleled their tshuva, if that makes sense. Like their process of repentance didn't begin with a public announcement. It began internally and then came more and more out. So their survival happened internally under the ground and then they came out to kind of mirror the internal process. But either way, the internal process is powerful. So it says that ultimately we believe that everybody before they pass away does tshuva on their own because you know when push comes to shove even if they didn't say anything that we heard or whatever but internally we would imagine that uh, people have thoughts and know the score especially toward the end and you know their head is in the right place even if they can't do anything or tell anyone about it all right we'll see you guys soon we'll see you tomorrow take care everybody be well thank you rabbi pleasure pleasure pleasure